Hello again and welcome in to the Lion's Edge podcast. I am your host, Chase Kitty, back from vacation, refreshed, perhaps, but more importantly, ready to talk some college football. I was gone at the beach Saturday to Saturday, and just the energy levels I could feel rising inside of me as we got to later last week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm like breaking away from Alex's family to go take notes on random college football stuff. I'm DMing people about all these different college football details. All this stuff that I'm trying to put together. I'm looking at bets. I'm doing handicaps on the beach, like just clinging wildly to Phil Steele's magazine, just like note after note after note. I couldn't wait till Thursday to do an episode is what I'm trying to tell you. I couldn't wait to get something down to talk a little ball, so I called up Colby Dant from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. His co-host, as it happens, played football for JMU. Didn't even know that going in. Uh, We have a very long, actionable conversation here. Lots of really good nuggets. Colby knows his stuff. I think we both have a little bit of last-minute research we want to get through. I know I want to take a, a couple more looks at some of the G5 stuff because uh, there's always good value to find there. I have not locked in any G5 bets yet. I do have a couple bets we'll, that I'll get into uh, with Colby and maybe uh, later in the show. I actually, after my conversation with Colby, I made a Heisman bet. It's not the Heisman bet he's going to talk about, but listening to him talk kind of clarified some things about how I feel. I go in a totally different direction, which I'll get into at the end. Uh, But that is a conversation for later. Here's a conversation for now. It is my long and meaty chat with Colby Dant. I hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm here with Colby Dant from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Colby, thanks for coming on the show. How you doing, man? Oh, Best time of year. I, I look. Uh, I mean, I love March Madness too. But I mean, right now, everyone's got optimism. Even UMass fans, UConn fans, doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're sitting there saying, "This is our year, maybe." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It is, and I, I hate to kill the optimism right out of the gate. But uh, you know, we, we got a couple things we want to talk about. One of which is national championship odds. Uh, we will not be covering UMass in this portion of the podcast. I, the way look, the way I broke it down. Uh, curious to get your your take on this part. The way I broke it down, you've got three like take it to the bank playoff contenders. They will either be in the field of four at the end, or be right on the doorstep. That's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. No surprises there. You've also got Clemson, A and M, Michigan, and I guess I'll throw USC in here just out of respect for Lincoln Riley. They're twenty to one. Uh, you're you're there in LA, so I, I mean, you have a totally different perspective on this. I think the hype train has way overshot the odds on, on the USC stuff, but you can correct me there if I'm wrong. Uh, I guess my question here at the top is: those seven teams again: Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Texas A&M, Michigan, USC. Do you see anybody else that should be in that camp of true contenders? And if not, who do you like there? I mean, I think if you're going to throw in USC, that then you have a few teams that I think deserve to be ahead of them. And I think, I think if you're a Michigan Wolverine fan, I think Oklahoma Sooners, I think Utah Utes should all be ahead of them. Um, after that, though, I would not really have an answer for for you on anyone that could really that I believe could actually run the table. Maybe you could make the case Oregon. They're kind of. You got to it's yeah. someone in in the ACC or S or I'm sorry ACC or Big Twelve that could make that run because the the door is kind of open right now. You, Oklahoma's in a transitional year, so and you could say I guess the same for the Pac-12 as well. Um, but I mean, I'm not buying into USC, man. I mean, look, I think they'll still be a much better football. They're not going to be a four-win football team, but I I, I just think. There's too many pieces. And I also believe in the target theory of like you, there, last year was like the, what, the first year in a while. We didn't see Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 championship. No, I know Texas has been down, but normally Oklahoma is always there. Well, they put a target on themselves in preseason. And, and these schools, these universities, I think they they know that uh, their money is going to go way, you know, way down when they leave for the SEC. And I think the same can be said for UCLA and USC. Uh, I think 
other schools. You're telling me this is going to be their last trip in Corvallis? I think Oregon State will beat them in Corvallis because I think they realize this is our last shot. Uh, so I love playing the 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 target angle there. But yeah, I, I agree with what you said on on your other teams to to uh, you know potentially win the the national championship. It is a pretty short list, and I went chalky for my my play. I think this is uh, the best team Saban's probably had in a while, and I I think you know he normally has. I feel like when when he, when they lose, they're normally you know I'm sure he uses every bit of motivation, being yeah. the the uh, the great coach and I'm sure narcissist that he is. Uh, so uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm going chalk on that. If you know, unfortunately, I wish I had something juicier to say. Like, hey, this is going to be Wake Forest's year, but uh, no, uh, I think I think Bama's just cut and dry, uh, way above. Uh, everybody else right now. I mean, I know you could say Georgia won the national championship. Bama's receivers got injured. Bryce Young was a freshman. That was the year to get them. They got them. Right. Rebuilding year, according to Saban. You know, you put however many guys in the first round of the NFL draft and, you know, yada, 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 and you're two catches away from winning the national championship. When that's your rebuilding year, it's a pretty potent comeback the the following season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, And bringing all those guys back. Uh, I think I think they're going to be really good. Even my Alabama friends saying like they, they think it might be Saban's best team ever. So that'd be a tall order. I I, I have a, I'm curious how they you know replace some of the production at receiver, but I certainly think you know quarterback, running back, offensive line, defense, like all, all, pretty much everywhere else on the field. You know you're checking a lot of boxes. I think you're right about the the, the target theory. By the way, I mean I, I I don't know how many times I've said this on radio this this summer, but it's been a lot. Just the idea that every single road game USC has to play. I don't even know if it hits UCLA that much. I think USC has been such the face of this move that, you know, and, and all the sexy transfer market stuff and everything. And, and the, the, you know, the, the splashy five-star quarterback, the transfers in and the, the, the flashy coach, the transfers in. I think a lot of that is going to, I mean, forget bulletin board material. It's billboard material. So I think Lincoln Riley is an elite coach, but I, that only is going to take you so far. And it, it feels like the hype has outstripped the, the talent on the field. And, and we're talking about them like they're in year three when, when they haven't played a game yet. A hundred percent. And they have some, some big questions on defense. I know they, they, uh, they already have a, def- they're def- starting defense projected starting defensive end, I think is out uh, the first four to six weeks of the season. Uh, the one of their tight ends that could have been starting, I think, uh, he's out eight weeks. So they're very thin on the offensive line and they're very thin on the defensive line. And, and in general, that was a terrible defense, uh, a year ago. So, uh, Alex Grinch has his work cut out for him, but so I, I, yeah, I, I believe in that theory. And I even think like with UCLA, I think you're right, but I do think there's a couple teams, Cal being one of them at a season finale in Berkeley, I think they might have something to say about it. And Justin Wilcox, you know, just turned down the Oregon job. And I saw the Board of Regents just said they, they might consider dropping down a division. If uh, and I'm sitting there saying, wow, okay, uh, I'm sure Justin Wilcox will have that one circled. <laughs> I would think so. While we're, uh, while we're on the top, you mentioned Oklahoma there in the uh, maybe throw them in, in category. I mentioned Clemson. I'm, I'm curious in terms of conference odds. This is something I'm going back and forth on. I don't know. I just I'll throw it out there, and you can tell me whatever your gut says. It feels to me like Clemson, which who's the favorite to win the ACC, and Oklahoma, who's the favorite to win the Big Twelve. They're the favorites because their names are Clemson and Oklahoma, and it's the ACC and it's the Big Twelve. I, I haven't figured out who I like to win either of those conferences, but it, it feels to me like the the smart path would be going in a different direction. Like I said, I haven't I haven't finished all my homework on the on the conference futures odds, but it, it feels like I'm I'm leaning in that direction. Do you have any any juice, any leans on like conference futures in that direction? Oh, I I definitely uh, I'm right there with you. There's too many question marks at Clemson. I watched the spring game and I think I, I I was trying to talk myself into bouncing back, and then I watched the spring game and I see the quarterback play. I know it's just a spring game, but I would have liked to seen a little indicator that this offense was going to be going and and uh, and they lose both coordinators. I, I wonder that effect. You know, Brent Venables. I'm sure I know that replacement they're raving about, but. Venables is still Venables, and I wonder, uh, you know, the, the, the cost of that. Um, I, I know the ACC seems a bit of a question mark all around, so I do think you, there's value plays all through them and the, and, the, and the Big 12 and the Pac-12. It's really the, AC, uh, the, uh, the SEC and the, the Big 10 that seem somewhat predictable. 
But uh, I completely agree with Oklahoma. Jeff Jeff Lebby coming in with Dylan Gabriel. There's familiarity there. So I, I see the logic in putting them uh, as the favorite. But at the same time, they're replacing a ton. We've never seen Brett Venables coach a game. There's some other teams. I think Dave Aranda's got a fantastic record against Jeff Lebby as an yeah. offensive coordinator. So uh, I know their line of scrimmage is is pretty sound in Waco. So, uh, yeah, I think Baylor, it's plus 650 to win the Big 12. I mean, this is the team that won the Big 12 last year, and I feel like the team is is better this year on paper. It's another year in Jeff Grimes' offense this year. Uh, so why would you not sprinkle a little bit on that? Uh, you know, like, I, I call me crazy. I, Oklahoma State, I do believe, kind of a, a flash in the pan last year to me. There's a, always a luck factor to me. And yep. Like Michigan State and Oklahoma State qualify for that. You go back and watch the games. I mean, Oklahoma State should have lost to Boise State. The ref blows a fumble dead. Uh, Boise State takes the fumble to the house. There's only a couple minutes left. Uh, they had some – they, they played Missouri State and FCS close. They played Tulsa close. They had a lot of stuff go their way in these close games where I kind of – same with Michigan State. Michigan State was outgained in, like, I feel like a decent chunk of the games that they yeah, won. Yeah, their, their variance is, like, especially Michigan State, is, like, through the roof. And then Oklahoma State – like they they've got multiple defensive backs that grad transferred out that I, I just feel like, you know, there, there's so much regression potential there that I, I, I agree with you. I, I think you're right on. And I, I know, I mean, I, I seems like I really like this play when I saw it happen, but Kansas state at plus 1200, but now it seems like everyone's kind of picking that, which scares me off. It's kind of like the reason why I'm not high as high on NC state, NC state. You can kind of throw in that bin. I think, uh, as in the same in the same vein as a uh, Michigan State or Oklahoma State, because they got a bunch of their road games with backup quarterbacks. They had to, they even lost the Miami game when Van Dyke came in, and Van I think it was his second start of memory serves me correct. But they got Boston College in Boston without Jerkovic. They got uh, who was the other one? Was it Brett? I don't know. It was Brennan Armstrong. They got some, somebody else. They, they had three backup quarterbacks they played. So I'm not ready to just sit there and say, hey, NC State's the uh, the top team in the con- – oh, was, you know who it was? It was Travis was out for Florida State with, with COVID. Um, so uh, I, 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 I'm I actually going to play the under on, on NC State because I think the whole world is talking about how they're about to win the ACC or them and Clemson. I, I look at some of the other schools in the ACC. I was very bullish on, on North Carolina as potential coastal winner judging by their recruiting rankings and they seem to play better when they're uh, when they're not projected to be good, but they just took a pretty big hit. They're starting running back Britton Brooks out for the year and their second leading receiver out, I think until week nine. So I, I kind of, I've kind of backed off them now. And then you have Sam Hartman who's out. We don't even know the timetable. Yeah. Nobody knows what's going on there. Yeah. So the ACC is wide open in a way. It almost makes me go back to Clemson because I'm like, wait, I don't believe in NC state. The game's at Clemson. Um, maybe you could talk me into pit, but Narduzzi, I, I, I do like the defensive line at pit and, and this, I try my official policy is to try not to say nice things about pit on this or any other podcast, but it, they got a nice defensive line that, that I'm going to get to see up close in week one. So I, I do think they're alive for that, that them. And, uh, and I don't know, NC, NC state, I take your point about that. They also have the second most wins in the ACC the last five years. So that they, you know, they're doing something right. Uh, variants can bite you. I don't know. I, that's just, I think more and more, I have a ticket on TCU at 14, one to 14 to one to uh, win the big 12. And I feel pretty good about that. Uh, at least in terms of the value I got and the number that I got the ACC, I might just end up totally staying away from it. I think actually, if you play the ACC, you're probably smarter off playing who you think is going to win the coastal because if it's Clemson, NC state or wake in the, uh, or, you know, you can even build cases for Louisville you know, or BC. I know that sounds crazy, but I heard a good case for Louisville earlier today. Yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of like what Louisville's got going. And when when you consider the woes that Clemson had offensively, even if they are improved, I do expect Clemson's offense to improve, but they were like the hundred third ranked offense in the nation last year. So how much are you going to improve is the question. If you're still in the eighties, then I still don't see a path for you to be that good. I mean, they won a lot of close games last year too. And that defense uh, obviously takes a hit when Venables leaves. So, I think maybe you play the coastal. I know Virginia, like we just uh, previewed Virginia here and it was unbelievable to me because I don't, I don't buy into the Wahoos one bit, but I do think their schedule is incredibly favorable. Right. Uh, so, I mean, the coastal's the coastal. You have what? Seven winners in seven years. I, I think it just makes more sense to play that and then hope you can win a game in Charlotte. 
if if your team is lucky enough to get into the uh win the coastal essentially so yeah i mean that talk about intrigue though between all three of those conferences it, it, i know the sec and big 10 are the driving force behind all the change in college football but i find the most compelling college football uh that i i kind of want to see this year re- residing in the uh the the acc the big 12 and the pac 12 because we don't know what's going to happen yeah this is a very big 12 friendly podcast we we like the uh the the, the round robin and everything uh we talk a lot of big 12 here uh, i want to talk about a bet that I, I was told you took. You have a Will Anderson to win the Heisman ticket, is my understanding. I do. I would like to hear, uh, I want to hear the price you got him at, and I want to hear the explanation of what you saw there. You're not the first smart person I have heard. You know, expound on the virtues of Will Anderson to win the Heisman. This is a trend I'm seeing with some really sharp people. I know Chris Felica has it. So uh, walk me through the process here. Well, my logic was this. Bryce Young probably will be deserving of it, but they gave it to him last year. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think if Alabama's as good as what, what everyone's projecting, it's going to be someone in the, in, in the CFP most likely. You try to build the case, you look at Georgia, you say, well, I mean, Stetson Bennett, and no disrespect to him, he's a national champion, he'll have that forever. You try to, try to look uh, around the other landscape, if, you know, what Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, but that is the odds-on favorite. So, and I actually think as much as I, I, you know, I still think Michigan could, is capable of beating Ohio state there. I, I, I see Georgia and Bama as pretty solid locks for the college football playoff. Ohio state, I think is going to be there, but I do think Michigan is really underrated coming into this season. Everyone's saying Ohio state's just going to, you know, it's a revenge match in Columbus. I don't know about that. And I, so if, if they were to, to and Michigan's schedule is pretty easy, I think. So if Michigan was to pull the upset there, then you wouldn't have Ohio state in the CFP. And then, so I think it's a little bit of a gamble from that aspect. They also play at Penn state, which is a losable game. Um, so I just took a shot saying, you know, they haven't, what, what they haven't had a defensive player win this ever besides Charles Woodson. It would be a nice ring to it. I know people were saying last year that he was the most important player in college football. I look up the odds. I think I got it at plus 2,000. I'd have to go back and check my ticket. That's what it is right now, 20 to 1. Yeah, yeah I believe I got it right there, or give or take a tiny bit. Um, so uh, my, my logic is that if this is Saban's best team, which, like I said, many of my friends down in, in Tuscaloosa have, have told me that they think it's his best team, well, they're not going to give it to Young again. Now, you can make the case Jameer Gibbs. You can make the case with some other guys on that team. But I, Anderson, a lot of people really felt like he was the best player in college football last year and that he got shafted. So what better way to respond than just say, hey, this is this is our angle for this year. Will Anderson, who might be the first, I think was probably going to be the first pick of the draft, depending on who, who gets the first pick uh, for next season. So that was really my angle was I wanted somebody on Bama if Bama was that good. Stroud is plus uh, Stroud's odds. You know, I get it. I still, I would not knock someone for buying a CJ Stroud ticket, but other than that, I don't really see anyone on Georgia to take. Now you could take the wild card, Caleb Williams, if USC, if maybe we're wrong about USC and they make a run. Sure. You know, but I do think they're going to want a player that's in the top five, uh, probably the top, probably in the playoff. If not that, then right outside of that. So I I think your options are, are a little bit, you know, all over the place. So I, that was my logic with Will Anderson. And I, I do think he is the best personally. I think he's the, the biggest difference maker. You go back and watch the film from last year. There are many key plays that, that just, I think you could argue that he was the best player on, on the team last year. So that, Oh, was- I, I would, I would definitely argue he's the best player. That's yeah. That's not my concern. I, I, I wonder, um, I wonder about the price if I'm going to have to buy a defensive player for Heisman, I kind of want better than 20 to 1. I think that's my biggest beef with it. And I wonder how much they're going to try to scheme scheme the ball away from him, scheme extra linemen to block toward him, and just like, you know, use offensive tricks to try to limit his impact because now, you know, there is a year on him. People know he's coming. People know he's the defensive guy to, to game plan for. So I, I've, I don't usually bet the Heisman market. Either way, I've thought about a C.J. Stroud ticket and then kind of like a pseudo hedge with a Michigan money line play later on down the road if it is 11-0 versus 11-0 in November and there's a probable playoff bet on the line. I've thought about the Gibbs ticket. 
I, I will probably end up staying away like I usually do. But part of my beef with the Heisman market is just it feels like so often, you know, we have we have the market and it, it becomes more and more efficient as you get closer to the season. And then the winner is is like some 125 to one. I, I went back and did a bunch of work on this last year. And, you know, like six out of the last eight years, most recent seasons, the winner is somebody that nobody was talking about in August, you know, with one or two exceptions. Yeah, no, you make a great point. I just, you know, I need like that, uh, what was it, Roy Williams at Oklahoma back in the two, early 2000s, that play. All I need is one close game where he makes the game-changing turnover. It's true. Yep. Good. We're good then. Uh but but I see your point completely. And I but I play the I I took a shot last year on Matt Corral, you know. I did too. I had the same ticket. <laughs> I had I owned more old Miss stock last year, I think, which podcast listeners know and actively make fun of me for sometimes. Politicians <laughs> running for re-election in Mississippi talked less about uh about Matt Corral than I did. <laughs> I even had the chance to like hedge it because I had some opportunities. And I, I, I died hard like Bruce Willis there. I, I said, no, yeah. I'm going to take a chance on it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't blame you, man. Kind of a kind of a sea change here, but a, a topic I'm very interested in that I've put a lot of time in, I, I suspect you have as well. The portal is ubiquitous these days. It is everywhere. You cannot do college football handicaps without factoring it in. You have to spend a ton more time looking at the portal, looking at all the new ads, looking at all the new subtractions. You then mix in right now, this is a temporary problem, but all the extra kids that are still there because they got an extra COVID year, that'll eventually age out. But you've got like 25-year-olds still playing college football right now. It's kind of wild. I'm curious how, what your process is in terms of handicapping the rosters, handicapping the win totals that we're going to get to here in a second. What's your process look like? How has the portal changed how you evaluate teams? I mean, I think it's greatly changed, and I think you can make the case, regardless of, of me doing this or you doing this, I think you can make the case that we know the least amount we've ever known coming into a week one or week zero. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because of the super senior thing, I mean, I'll be honest, I wanted to, I was like going through it. I remember I was, t- I even had some connects that were, were affiliated with programs, and they couldn't give me a solid answer at the time. You know, this was, now this was in like uh, April to May on what their situation would look like. And I'm like, well, how, how are we supposed to talk about this? You know, I, I had to keep waiting until, uh, you know, we get all the information that we possibly can. And even that, it is already changing. We saw that with Timmy McClellan yep. transferring to UCF. Oh, we thought he might've been a starter. If you grab one of the magazines from the store, it's going to tell you he was a starter uh, for, for the Baylor or for uh, South Florida, but the Baylor transfer comes in. So it, it is very important to pay attention to, but I like to do, I like to pay attention to obviously the, the starts, that, you know, if you're looking at uh, take uh, Virginia, for example, we were talking about, they lose all five of their offensive linemen all to the portal. And they all, I think for the most part, I think four of the five are projected to start. One of them at USC, one of them at Michigan, one of them at UCF, one of them at... Yeah, the, the center in Michigan was a Remington finalist. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. there's some like big, real talent that UVA lost to the portal. So that, that scared me away a little bit. But I also, like, even when you're grading the other teams, you have to value that as, as you know... It, it, but at the same time, I do think you should take into effect like USC and Ole Miss that are portal heroes this year, I would say, with how many players they, they added. Uh, I do think football is a more complex game than that. It's, this is not dream team, the dream team here that we're doing. I, I, think, I, I, I think it's 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 easy to, to, to go and do this, but until we see it, and there's plenty of examples, even in the NFL, I know people will say that uh, last year's Rams were kind of like that, but if you look back, even like the – you know, uh, I feel like the Eagles did a team like this. Uh, look, I grew up in the D.C. area. Dan Snyder, when he instant, when he first took over the, the Redskins at the time, he uh, he was going to get Bruce Smith and Deion Sanders and all these you know, players, and it didn't really work out on the field. So uh, I do think that is something to, to, to pay attention to as well. But, but yeah, you've got to pay attention to all that stuff. I do like experienced teams. I don't think that will ever change. The more experience <laughs> no. starts, the more uh, – adding super seniors, you know – Especially you get a quarterback that's a super senior. I mean, we saw Kenny Pickett last year in that effect. Um, so I, I do pay – I think it's very important to pay attention to that as far as, uh, as, as you know, college football in 2022. I mean, it's like the 405 freeway that, with the transfer portal. So it's been fun. And it, it, keeps us, it keeps us employed a little uh, longer, right? We do uh, emergency all the time. Oh, well, 
what uh, Brendan Rice transferred to USC, you know, whatever. <laughs> so uh, it's good. It's good for content. However, it is. Uh, I do think, though, that it's going to be harder for all, our, all all people that cover the sport picking the games. I think more so than any year of us doing this, this might be the hardest one coming into week zero. I mean, you look, you take a look at week zero, you take a look at Nevada and New Mexico state. You, you it's hard to forecast. It's, it's hard to, they have so many transfers. Jay Norvell left Nevada, took his whole team to Colorado <laughs> and, and yeah. New Mexico state brings in Jerry kill. And he brings in like 20 transfers. And it's like, who, who's going to start here? You know what I mean? Like I, it, 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 I, I have an idea, but it, it is, I think, uh, you know, more challenging this year than any year in previous years that I can recall. Yeah. And there are, there are teams that I just straight up, I don't think it's going to work. Like to your point, I I look at what Ole Miss brought in and I think that defense is going to be pretty good this year. I I mean, Kiffin can call himself King of the portal and I'm I'm a Kiffin defender, but like, I don't think all of that, I mean, it's, it's almost too much. I don't think it's all going to mesh. I don't think that offense is going to be very good this year. I don't know. Like that's, that's one of the biggest win totals I have circled in my SEC card this year is Ole Miss under because the West is loaded. Somebody's got to lose games and I don't think it's going to work out there. So I, uh, I think it's, I, I, and by the way, talking about how hard the, the portal makes it and everything, I don't know how much FCS work you do. I will still take all of this portal bullshit over trying to track down FCS rosters in July. Cause that is, one of the toughest jobs I have ever had. Shout out to Sam Herter, my guy, who is still just breaking down the doors, you know, calling up the the Southern University SID <laughs> in the third week of July, like, hey man, can can you verify fifty-five names for me, whether or not they're still on the team? Cause there is so little support given to some of these teams. You just you don't know till the week before they, they get on the field. And, and shout out to Sam as well. He's been on my show. Yeah, I, I we love the FCS. I was I always want. I wish Vegas could give us lines and win totals on all the FCS. But I love FCS football, so I I, I get I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Though is that it, I mean, we went we went into it hard for the COVID season. You know where they played in the spring, yeah. and getting intel very weird ahead season. Of schedule, that that spring was yeah. one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Definitely one of the weirdest things yeah. I've ever handicapped. I know everyone. I talked to North Dakota State fans, and they they can't stand that. Oh, one. that's a They're fake just... season in Fargo. It never yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah, it never <laughs> happened. All right, let's let's talk win totals. I hear you have a bet on the Kansas over. Longtime podcast subscribers will be very interested to hear this. My uh, my former partner Andrew Dowdy, Kansas alum, uh, big supporter of the Make Kansas Football Great Again movement. So give us give us the argument for the Kansas over. The people want to hear it. Well, they they were my number one lock last year, and it was funny because I, I definitely got laughed off of a couple shows. Uh, they're just like, Are "You you kidding me?" And I go, "Lance Leipold is a winner, and there ain't there ain't any other way yep. to cut." He didn't even have spring ball last year, and 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 I thought they should have won more than two games. I was watching them every week. Now I know the week one matchup against the FCS last year was a true sweat. Like they they might have. <laughs> it was yeah yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, I thought they, they had the, uh, was it the TCU game? I thought they had that thing. It, it, they didn't get it done. The Oklahoma game. If, if Caleb Williams doesn't, uh, strip his own running back and run for a first down, right. I thought they were in a position to win that game. I mean, I think they were down two at the time, so they would have had the ball. That was a fourth and one. I think at, at like the 45 of, of, of Oklahoma, they were there and, and you saw the buy-in and that to me is so huge to me when your team is terrible. Take a look at USC last year. Take a look at uh, some of the years previously with Miami, Texas. You could use that example. There's a lot of teams that quit. They quit on their coach. They quit on the scenario. Uh, Louisville with Petrino. They did the opposite at Kansas. They bought in. And you you watch the final three or four games of the season. Uh, I, I was really impressed. And the fact he got spring ball. And I thought they won the transfer portal too. And, they, and, you, and that's another thing. Is they, they started a freshman quarterback towards the end of the season there. I think they found their guy. And uh, I think they're going to be with with Oklahoma, you know, in a transitional year. And I think Oklahoma State's going to be, you know, it it seemed like the the ceiling got a little lower. And I think the floor is getting a little bit higher with can't with with Leipold. So I do. I I said this comment. I know people will laugh at me. I'm not calling them to go bowling this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they got the six and six. That would be a big over. That would be way over. 
Because I'm I'm seeing uh, for for the listeners that don't have it in front of them right now, I'm seeing over two and a half minus one thirty five juice is where Kansas is priced right now at BetMGM. I'm just gonna say this: I think last year Houston was a little bit of fool's gold. They had a great defense. They had a very favorable schedule. So they get Tennessee Tech out the gate. Kansas does. That, I think that's definitely gonna be a win. I don't even think they'll sweat in that one. Then they're at Morgantown. Now, I, I think they're going to probably lose in Morgantown, but wouldn't it be great if West Virginia – they haven't played the backyard, the backyard brawl in, like, what, 12 years. If West Virginia upsets Pitt in Heinz or whatever they call the stadium now, then they're going to be on cloud nine. So then you could have a great situation for Kansas to, to come into Morgantown. Oh, I do they, not want to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't think they're going to win both those games, but I, I do yeah. think they could steal – one uh, more, I think they could play with Houston. It wouldn't shock me. And then you have Duke at home. You have Iowa State at home. You have TCU at home. Those That's a three-game stretch where I actually would not be surprised if they won each of those. I'm not going to say that they're going to win. I, I, like, when I forecasted their season, I, I had them as a 4-8 and eight to 5-7 and seven team. But I'm just saying, if the ball bounces right, you never know. I think that some of these games are more winnable than people think. And I think this team has a, a little bit of a fight mentality and Leipold's done this before. He did this at Buffalo, and now Buffalo was not nearly as bad as what Kansas was prior. Right. But I just think he 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 overachieved my expectations. Although he didn't get the wins on on yeah. last and without spring ball, so I, I am high on on them, and I think they're going to be better than what people think. And I would say this on Kansas's behalf: if you're ranking the coaching staffs in the Big Twelve. Uh, Kansas is not 10, right? It's, it's not 10. It's not nine. Like that, you know, it's, it's, it's a good coaching staff. So I like when you see, I think this is a a good piece of advice for any gambler. Like if you can get progress and the results are trailing it, that's usually, uh, that's usually where you find value. Yeah. And the defensive side of the ball was really bad last year. I think with, with the transfers they got, I expect the deep, like the offense was actually, I mean, they put up what fit, in regulation, I think they put up what fifty on Texas. So uh, I know Texas is just a five and seven team, but th- there's talent there. I, I think if the defense can fix a little bit of their problems, I expect them to be in a lot of the games that we would laugh at before. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. uh, give me the over. I think it's one of my favorite plays in all of college football. I still think it's. I still think they're not valuing Lipo. They're valuing the, the history of Kansas, which I understand, but I, I think they're wrong. And you bring up another good point, which is Kansas has got to get to three wins for that over, which really just means after they beat Texas, they only need two wins. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. That's another way to look at it. The, he, the fact that he almost knocked off Oklahoma and Texas in year one without spring, that right there should tell you a little bit. That should tell you a there little you bit about the guy. So, uh, yeah, sign me up all day. What other uh, win totals do you like? Where, where are you going? Give me a couple of your favorites. Uh, I mean, you said this is a Big 12 podcast. Uh, well, I mean, we like the Big 12. Well, I don't, I don't, we're not like a Big 12 podcast, but yeah, uh, yeah Big 12 friendly, Big 12 curious. I got you. Well, well, let's let's. I'm going to take the over on Iowa State. I think Iowa State is a team that uh, you know Matt Campbell gets the most out of his teams. Uh, you know, I know everyone's kind of said this narrative. I feel like when they're down is when the time to bet on Matt Campbell. But also last year. They, they did outgain Baylor severely and lost that game. They weren't as bad as what people thought. Like, people were like, oh, I told you Iowa State was overrated. Okay, fair enough. They were slightly overrated. They lost those games. But if you actually – the yardage tells a tale. And they were better than their actual record if you if you pay attention to those things. So I, they got a four-star coming in at quarterback, a four-star coming at running back. I know people say, Brees Hall, he's a New York Jet. Well, David Montgomery went to the Chicago Bears. No one knew who Brees Hall was. I trust Matt Campbell. I trust how he develops talent. Yeah. So I'm great a, point. Yeah. I'm going to Montgomery. Great yeah, point. I'm going to take the over on Iowa state and six and a half wins. And, 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 uh, you know, maybe one of these years he can beat Iowa because I feel like that, that was, Iowa won that game last year. If memory serves me correct, I'd have to pull this up again, but I want to say with like 120 yards of offense, they won that game, which is just shows you how many turnovers Brock Purdy and, and the Cyclones gave up. Um, uh, can can uh, they they finally get that done? Perhaps, but either way, I, I I see that team and I see seven and five. I wouldn't even mind a future play for them to play in the. I mean, the Big Twelve is so compelling this year. Uh, I you know you with your TCU ticket. I I look at that roster and I say I, I fourteen I, to one. I mean, yeah. and I, I look at the roster and I say come I, on. I see what you're seeing. Uh, 
but I mean, I do. I, I question Dykes in year one a little bit, but I, I do too. I have the same exact concern. Yes, but that's one that I, that I like. I you know what's one that just changed actually that that I I want the, everyone to to if you want to make some cash, I really believe in this one. The Wake Forest number just went way down, right? Uh, I'm gonna yeah, just buy the dip on that. I, I'm I'm thinking about the same thing. Oh well, I I believe people made it's at six and a half right now. Six and a half. Now the juice is at uh, I think like minus one sixty or something. Uh, but you look at Wake Forest. Remember when Jamie Newman transferred to Georgia and well, he never ended up playing for Georgia, but everyone was like, "Oh, Wake Forest is going to fall apart." They lost him. They lost uh, Sage Surratt. I think it was opted out. And uh, Dave Clawson, he's like Matt Campbell to me. They have this program rolling. Next man up mentality. I expect now Hartman is 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 re- really good. He's he's yeah. underrated in my opinion criminally. But I think that the this offense, this system, I think it works. And I I'm all over the six and a half. Um, uh, give me the over. I still think they're in contention with or without Sam Hartman. I think this offense is still going to put up big numbers. So, and I I love the hire of Brad Lambert at defensive coordinator. You look at the one year at Purdue. Purdue two years ago had defensive problems. They could move the football, but they just couldn't stop anybody. Well, they, get, they hire Brad Lambert away from Marshall. If you go back to the 2020 year, Marshall had the number one defense in the country. He had Purdue's defense, if memory serves me correct, I believe that was in the 30s last year. Uh, so if he can just do that with Wake Forest's terrible defense from a season ago, I understand the offense won't be n- not, not, as, uh, not as high as it was with Hartman, but I still think it's going to be putting up some serious yardage. Give me Wake Forest over six and a half all day. I, I like when that great Bilo. Yeah. yeah, great Bilo. That's one that I like. Uh, I'm, I, I am also on the uh, I, I, I rode the under. Uh, we already kind of touched on this, but I rode the under on USC. I just think that when you put the target on, on that many on that many wins, uh, I, I they got to play in Salt Lake City. They, they, they have had a very hard time, no matter the coach in Salt Lake City. I don't see that as as, as a win. So then you say, okay, well, you know, if they lose two more times, then you've cashed the under. Well, they still have to play Notre Dame, which I know Notre Dame, actually, like every day that I wake up, they have another guy injured. They have to go to Corvallis. They have to go to, uh, they do avoid Oregon, but they still have to go to some tricky spots. They play UCLA and Dorian Thompson Robinson, I feel like, has been in college 25 years. So that's going to be a tough game. <laughs> uh, and, and so I, I, I'm not ready to just say all, all of a sudden, hey, uh, USC is going to get there. So I do like the under on, on USC at nine and a half. Um, what were some of my other favorite plays in the group of five? I like, I'm going to take a shot on New Mexico state. A lot of love for New Mexico state so far. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is the most we've ever talked about New Mexico state on this podcast. I know this sounds crazy because you know, they've been so bad that why, why tune into them? But, that win total two and a half or three. Uh, last I saw, I believe it. I, I think it might be at three right now. Let's see, three with slight juice to the under. And 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 okay, so look, week zero, I kind of like them, and, and the number has moved in in my favor. But a couple. I was going to ask you about that a little later, but yeah, since since you brought it up, it opens at fourteen and a half. Five and a half points toward New Mexico State, all the way down to nine right now. I got it at thirteen, but. Yeah, but nice number. Uh, New Mexico State is an interesting. First off, Nevada lost everybody. Like I, I expect Nevada yes. to be in a really bad spot this year. You can make a case, I think, that they might be the worst team in all of FBS. So I, I like New Mexico State as a dog there, especially when you pay attention to Jerry Kill's success, uh, where he's been. He, this is like his twentieth time. I feel like building a program up, and some of those transfer portal gets I thought were pretty substantial. And then I even thought last year when I watched a little bit of New Mexico State football, now they were terrible, but they had a couple guys that kind of popped off screen to me. So I think it, he can't, it's, not, it's not like UConn or UMass where you walked in, like all three of those teams were terrible. But they had a couple guys that jumped off screen that I thought with some coaching, you know, if you utilize this thing, uh, and I know he's big on special teams on, on, on his ways to, 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 to really win games that you shouldn't win. I look at the schedule, though, and I say, well, Nevada, I think they're going to win that game. It's in Las Cruces, right? They, then they, they play at UTEP, Battle of the I-10, that rivalry. Now, UTEP, I think, is, has got a leg up on them, but it wouldn't shock me if they won that one. They get Hawaii right. in Las Cruces. Well, Hawaii might have lost more guys than Nevada did. <laughs> so, so I actually think that I, I, like, I full-on expect them to beat Nevada and Hawaii. 
They also get Florida International in Las Cruces. Look, Mike McIntyre, I do think that was a good hire by by Florida International, but at the same time, they they what Butch Butch Davis was throwing them under the bus, and they hadn't they're using shoulder pads from two thousand four, right? Uh, you know this this is a project I think that that McIntyre inherited. I don't know that he'll have this team. Now you could you could argue that New Mexico State's a project too, but on October first, it's in Las Cruces. I think that's a winnable game. Then they have a bye week before taking on their rivals, the Lobos, up in Albuquerque. Look, I I would favor New Mexico barely. It wouldn't shock me if they won that one. And that one's at home, too, in Las Cruces. And then they still have games, a home game against Lamar. They have a road trip to UMass, which they'll probably they'll probably lose because how cold it will be then. But it's still a winnable game. I look at that and I say, you know what? Give me the over. I think this team is more talented than a lot of those teams that they play. Just from a roster standpoint, I think they have a more talented roster than Nevada, Hawaii, UMass and Lamar. That's four wins right there. Now, New Mexico, the Lobos, that's a that's a rivalry game. It wouldn't surprise me if they knock if they won that thing. But four, you already hit your number. Give me the Aggies uh and the over on this team all day. <laughs> Bet you didn't think I'd be talking about New Mexico State this much. No, you know what though? Makes a lot of sense. They've got a lot of outs, got a lot of paths to get to four wins. That's not bad. I think your Iowa State one really resonates with me. I don't know. It might just be top of mind. I was doing some work on Indiana earlier today, but I I see some similarities between Iowa State and Indiana in that 2020, they have very fortuitous seasons. Like a lot of things go their way. They exceed expectations. They get to a lot of wins. Last year, you see a lot of regression. I don't even want to say aggression to the mean. I would say regression beyond the mean to the other side. And it's kind of like, okay, when you see those, those two seasons even out, uh, maybe you get something that that goes over what the numbers are for this year because you're getting to buy low after bad 2021 campaigns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it makes a ton of sense. And and another one I want to tell you is UCF over eight and a half. I don't know uh, how uh, how much you know about John Rice Plumley, but I the minute I saw him transfer to UCF, see Rich Rodriguez used him correctly a couple of years ago in Oxford. Kiffin moved him to a wide receiver, and I thought, man, that guy's got to transfer. I was surprised he stayed on at wide out. I think it is a perfect fit for him and Gus Malzahn. Like, mm-hmm. I actually think this offense, I think they have potential to run the table because I think that offense is going to be so potent with him at starting quarterback. And I and I, I, I don't even know that he's full-on named him starting quarterback yet because he doesn't want the other kid to transfer. But I believe he's going to be the starting quarterback. And I think in a Malzahn offense, go back to the Nick Marshall days at Auburn, I just think that offense is really going to fly. You look at... They get a couple ACC teams in uh, in Orlando at the bounce house. I think those are wins. They get Cincinnati at the at the, at the bounce house. The only real tricky road game to me is is in uh, in Greenville, North Carolina, taking on my Pirates. But uh, I love the over on eight and a half wins in UCF. I haven't done any American work. I know last year one of my favorite plays was I figured out. Uh, that, that Houston had just such a garbage schedule they were going to walk into the title game. And I played a Houston future and then hedged out of it and took Cincinnati on the money line. Uh, and that was a, that was a nice winner for me. Uh, I, I took that. I was on, I was on the Cougars last year on the over too. I mean, that was, yeah, like, it was cause it was just like, you're going to, you're going to sleepwalk into, you know, there's not a lot of love lost between me and Dana Holgerson, but I mean, like it was just gonna back into it. It was obvious. I actually like the under on them this year because I think they were a little bit of fool's gold last year, and I think even yeah. even you know their defense played fantastic, and they should you know I can't take that away from them, but they didn't play a lot of top end competition. I think the defense was not as good as what the numbers represent, and I think this year they they have a slight regression. Can I ask you uh, two or three minutes on your Pirates? How are you enjoying? The uh, my, my Mike Houston loner that we sent down from Harrisonburg down to Greenville. <laughs> well, I mean, it's better than losing to you guys. You guys came to the <laughs> that that was a that was a tough one. Uh, one of my best friends actually got married not just that day, but his his wedding started at six p.m., which was when kickoff was for that JMU East Carolina game, and we like rushed through the ceremony eleven minutes. Into the into the little uh, you know wedding party post venue thing, just flipped out the flipped out the game and, and watched East East Carolina kind of get smacked around a little bit. So that must have been a oh, tough a one. Bit. No, a lot. That was, I, I'm still convinced the ACC 
put together that plan to put Scotty Montgomery as head coach of <laughs> East Carolina because if we fire Ruffin McNeil uh, in a season, we go five and seven with our starting quarterback tearing his ACL in the season and the three days before the season opener. We still beat Virginia Tech, and and you is only losing season. You fire him. And you go out and hire Scotty Montgomery, and our program just went way down. We were, we, we were terrible. So, uh, uh, But Mike Houston, I'm a buyer. Very I'm, good I'm coach. Buying. He's a very and, good and coach. I alluded to this earlier with NC State, and I'm on the under. I think East Carolina is going to upset NC State week one. They're going to get some people. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to – I don't think people – and you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I don't know if the national audience fully understands – all the shit that's been going on at ECU the last five to seven to 10 years. Like there's been a lot of stuff going on, like beyond football that that has made things harder. Uh, So I think the Mike Houston ECU comeback has been a little slower than I anticipated, but I think they're going to get some people this year. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm on the over on the six and a half, but that's one where you might need to be blind because I am an ECU guy. So, yeah, take it with a grain. Understood. Salt. Every everybody gets you know ten percent to play with uh, <laughs> when when it comes to teams they're uh, they're invested in. Let's talk week zero a little bit before we get out of here. I, I am uh, obviously you know week zero is what it is. It's it's an appetizer. Don't try to look you know for too much more than that. I think I am curious how you approach handicapping a Big Ten conference game played in August in Dublin, Ireland. What, if anything, and this is a podcast that fully supports saying my approach is I'm not betting it at all, but what, if if anything, is your approach to Nebraska minus 12 and a half playing against Northwestern in Ireland? Well, look, we bet, I mean, especially with week zero, we bet everything on, on my pod, the college football experience podcast. So uh, I was at this game in Lincoln last year, and this game was a bloodbath. It was like 50, 55 to 7. It was, yeah. I'll say this, though. Yep. Something about Pat Fitzgerald, the year after he has just a, the worst team, I was going back, I was going back this offseason, and I, I caught, like, I think it was a couple of years ago, the game against Ohio State. I think it was in Evanston. But they played Ohio State really close. Uh, Ohio State won the game, and I'm sitting there like, how the hell did he do that with no one good on his team? Like, I think one or what, they had one player, the offensive tackle, that went to the NFL – but they really didn't have any players that made the pros. And I thought, what an unbelievable job. Because I look at this roster when they were giving away the starting lineups. And I'm like, this team won nine games for him. And I'm like, man, maybe I'm undervaluing. Like, when I look at their roster this year, I don't think it's a good roster. I think it's a terrible roster. And I know Mike Hankowitz is legendary DC, retired. But I just believe in Pat Fitzgerald. I think Nebraska's going to win this game. And everything tells me that they're going to win by like 21, but I'm taking Northwestern plus 13. It's in Ireland, a Fitzgerald against a Scott. Come on. I got it. I got it. How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> Did you have that one written down from last month? <laughs> Look, it's Whipple. He's going to that new offense. And I think that offense, I think it's going to work out. I just think, Northwestern will be better than what I believe them to be. They're always one of the teams. It's almost like when you look at Iowa's offense and you say, man, how can I take the over on Spencer Petras? Well, they w- they'll find a way to do it. They'll find a way to do it. I- I'm not going to say Northwestern are going to win that game, but give me the give me the points, I guess. I'll-, I'll take the points there. I still think I have stronger plays for Week Zero, but I, I am going to bet that at uh, and take the points with the Wildcats. I can't counsel it either. I, I'm I'm going to find a way to play Nebraska. I'll, I'll build some kind of money line parlay out or take them on an alt or something. I, I can't lay – I understand that it – like they killed them last year. I understand that Nebraska is like one of the biggest positive regression targets in the history of modern college football when you look at all the crap that happened to them last year. I understand all that. I can't lay 13 in Europe. Like I can't do it in week zero. So – uh, I'll figure out a way to play Nebraska. I'm, I'm sure we'll post about that. I'll, I'll do a breakout video on it or something. Uh, but but uh, I'm not laying the 13. It, it opened at 10. It's now 12 and a half at BetMGM. I've seen it at 13 at some other books. Uh, so if you're going to lay the points with Nebraska, you know, do it at BetMGM. They've got the best number. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that, at least in terms of the point spread. What are your other uh, leans for, for week zero here? Give me give me the best that you got. I mean, I, I'm kind of going dogs. Uh, you know, obviously I told you New Mexico State, I'm actually on that on the money line at, at plus, like, I think I got it at plus 300. Um, 
And uh, I'm, I'm going to take Wyoming in the points. I, I'm not ready to, to say, look, I know Wyoming got just raided. Absolutely raided in the portal. But I believe in Craig Bull, and I believe in his process. And Illinois, they go out and get Tommy DeVito. I guess that's an improvement. I think he's more mobile, so you'll have that. But I still just don't think they're a very good football team. So I, I, they're kind of mirror images to me on the style of ball that they play. Style of bowl. Yeah, style of bowl that they play. So give me the 10 points and the Cowboys in Champaign. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to sound crazy, too. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take the gigantic number and the, the reigning New York Times national champions in 2020, the Yukon Huskies. And my logic here is that Utah State, is uh I, well first off i think they might get up big but they might keep it a little bit vanilla because they have bama on deck they uh they also they they played i think new mexico state and new mexico last year that weren't good football teams and they didn't beat them by that amount and i actually think jim mora jr brings in some key tra- like getting that roberson kid from penn state who was a, a former four-star at one point i think just bringing in the amount of talent they got in even though i don't expect them to be a good football team this year I just think the actual football team is better. So uh, give me the 27 and the Huskies, even in that uh, Maverick Stadium there in Logan. Uh, and then I, I do love the Vanderbilt angle. I have to take Vanderbilt. I was going to ask you about that. Yep. So Vandy opens at two and a half. They're now up to six and a half. You got four points of movement there. It just feels like Hawaii, that off season. I don't know how you back Hawaii in week zero. We've had June Jones on the show before too, and to, to we've got a, a chance to to talk to him before, and a lot of things. That administration is really botching their football team because that 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 yeah. island produces a ton of football talent. They wanted they wanted June Jones. Now they're very happy with Timmy Chang, but I think he just walks into a very very difficult situation for year one. So I'm on. I'm going chalk. I think I feel like everyone I talk to is going Vandy too. Yeah. Oh, Haven't well, seen a single person taking Hawaii. Yeah. Not a single yeah. one. So maybe, maybe that's one where that's, that gets a little scary, but I, I just think, I know Vanderbilt lost to East Tennessee state by like 20 last year, but I just, East think, Tennessee state was a playoff team. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, East Tennessee state would probably beat Hawaii too right now. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm going Vandy there. The other matchups, the conference matchups within the, the CUSA, those are intriguing to me. Uh, I'm going to take Charlotte. Charlotte's been owned by FAU lately. And I know FAU is supposed to be, you know, this is Taggart's most uh, experienced team from the, from recruiting, and they're his guys in there now. However, you have super senior quarterback Chris Reynolds at Charlotte, and I know they've gotten owned, but normally they get FAU like in November. I think getting them week zero is actually an advantage. So give me the points. I don't love the play because it's in Boca Raton. But I do think that offense, Charlotte's offense wasn't the problem last year. It was the defense. So, and and, and believe it or not, FAU's offense was the problem. It yeah. was the defense that was good. So I actually think Charlotte plus the points is the play. And then I think the hardest game to handicap is probably that North Texas UTEP game going on in El Paso. Um, I lean North Texas. I lean North Texas, but I need to – this one's tough because I do think – North Texas kind of shoots themselves in the foot. Sometimes they started a lot of different quarterbacks really for the past couple of years. I feel like it's, you know, different. So I, I definitely want to know who the court, I think it's going to be Austin Une, but I, 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 until I see an actual press release where they release who the starting quarterback is, I'm always a little concerned, but UTEP, I do think they lose Jacob Cowing, their star wide out. Um, their defense is, is really impressive from a year ago, but I also think they were kind of a little bit of fool's gold last year. They got the right schedule, much like with Houston. Um, I, and I know they return Hardison, so but I, I think North Texas kind of figured out their their mo towards the end of last season. Run heavy team. We'll see if UTEP can stop it. So give me North Texas minus one in El Paso. Some big line movement on that one as well. Uh, North Texas opened actually as a four point favorite, and that is basically down to a pick'em at this point. Minus one uh, with juice toward UTEP. Minus 115 there on the plus one for UTEP. Uh, but I think I'd be with you there as North Texas as well. I like a lot of your picks. I can't get there with UConn. I did the right thing last year. I took UConn plus the absolute shitload of points in week zero or week one, whatever they had that first game. I defended it on the podcast. My partner made fun of me. He said, how in the world are you betting this UConn team? 
I said, everybody's going to bet against UConn. The book knows what they're doing. Like UConn's the sharp side. Give me 42 points or whatever it was. Didn't matter. I got my pants pulled down. That one's going to be Utah State or pass for me. Probably a pass. I'm just going to stay away. I was on that same UConn Husky yeah. team. I think the difference is, is they have some guys, man. They got in. They got a. They're not going to be listless this year. You're right because you know the regime change. It's not going to be embarrassing like it was. But I just, I've, I've got too much PTSD on it. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I don't yeah. blame you. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a shot on the, on the Huskies. <laughs> Colby, where can, uh, where can the people find your good work? Uh, let's give it, give us, uh, give us some plugs here. Where can we listen to your stuff? Follow you on social media, all that. You can find the college football experience. I host that and the college basketball experience uh, on any podcast platform. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash the college experience. And uh, we're on Twitter at TCE on SGPN. And I'm on Twitter at D Colby D. Appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely, man. Anytime we'll have to do this again. Uh, pride of Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, enjoy the, uh, enjoy the Mike Houston experience with my compliments. <laughs> Can't wait. NC state's going down. All right. There you go. There you go. Now all the NC state stuff makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Need need to hit that under. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. I mean, everyone knows that everyone says my heart's too close to it. Yeah. (laughs) All right, man. I'll take it easy. Appreciate you. Take care. All right. There you go. Quite the back and forth there. A little bit longer than I think we're trying to do uh, with the with the new look podcast. But you know what? You only get to start college football one time. So there is the long conversation that maybe you were wanting at the beginning of this week zero. Lots of bets in there. I hope you got something out of it. Hope you can get some uh, some money down somewhere on something that we talked about. Special thanks again to Colby there from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. While we're on the subject of action, yeah, it's airhorn time. I've got action for you, especially if you are here listening Monday my main play today, let's head to Cleveland, WTA Cleveland, really one of the last women's tournaments before the U.S. Open. We're going to see some U.S. Open qualifiers later in the week, but right now there's a totally separate tournament going on in Cleveland. Interesting draw here. First round Monday night, this is like a 7 or 8 p.m. Uh, start to this match. It's even possible that it could get pushed to Tuesday, depending on how the matches before it go. Barbara Krejcikova, Czech player, as high as number two in the world uh, one or two years ago. She is, I mean, she's not having a like a, a horrible year, but it, it's not probably up to her standard. Nevertheless, the way tennis tournaments work, she is the number one seed in this tournament. And despite the fact that she's playing as the number one seed, she is a small underdog to her first-round opponent. That would be Anastasia Potapova. She's the favorite over the number one seed. Talk about a fishy line. Uh, that's about as fishy as it gets. And Krejcikova just doesn't have the form. Potapova does. And so we are backing the Russian here on the very obvious mush line. Uh, we're going to go Anastasia Potapova, minus 135 at BetMGM right now. Uh, that is your Airhorn play for this episode. I know uh, I, I am increasingly hearing the chorus of, if we see Chase play a women's tennis player that we have never heard of, it's a lock. I don't endorse the idea that anything is a lock, but the track record speaks for itself. If... You are listening to this podcast very early. Let me give you a couple of uh, of other bonus plays on the hard court. Things that I'm betting on and that if you're listening to this podcast early, you could get as well. Daria Kasatkina, huge favorite. She's minus 550, minus 600 in that realm right now versus Greet Minnen. I, I've got a big bankroll. I'm going to go ahead and lay the juice here. I'm very comfortable. It's a massive number. I'm not telling you it's not. I am telling you that uh, Kasatkina's opponent, Greet Minnen, hasn't won a main draw tour match on outdoor hardcourt since October of 2021. Uh, and you're talking about Kasatkina. She won WTA San Jose earlier this month. So night and day, uh, It especially on the women's side, you have bigger upsets like this. Anything can happen. So again, there's no such thing as a lock here. 
Got to keep that in mind, but I'm very comfortable in this spot uh, laying a massive number on it. I have several bills on that one. And then also, let me give you Martina Trevisan, minus 175, playing against Meyer Sharif. Uh, just Sharif, not a not a hardcore player. She's like 1 in 10 on hardcore this year. So Trevisan is uh, an Italian, not in great form herself, but she will dispatch a sub-100 player, might even be sub-200 uh, who has just awful, awful track records on this surface. That'll be a Trevisan win. Uh, and minus 75, uh, frankly, is a nice price for that. I mean, Trevisan, like I said, not in form, so they can't price her as some massive favorite. Uh, getting minus 175 for the clearly better tennis player in this particular match is a nice find indeed. Those are my three plays for Monday, assuming they do stick to Monday. I know it's rained in Ohio a lot recently, but uh, Kasatkina, Trevisan, and Potapova, that's what we're looking at. One of those actually might be in, in WTA Granby, which is Canadian, so maybe not Ohio. But you get the point. Those are the three plays I'm on. I, I'll also let you know a couple of other college football bets that I made, so I'm, I'm really just handing out a lot of candy right now. I don't do this a lot. I bet a week two game this weekend. I laid the 17 with Bama going against Texas. That's a September 10th game. Not something you're going to see a whole lot from me, but I feel like that number is only going to go in one direction. I could be wrong about that. We could see some buyback on Texas, but it feels to me like Alabama is going to roast them. Uh, Texas is could be good with Sarkeesian, could be good with Quinn. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen in week two. I think Alabama is going to annihilate them. I want the good number. I, I'm comfortable laying 17. I don't want to lay 20 or 21. So I came in on this early. That's what I got. Uh, maybe the juicier one. If, if you're listening to all this like, dude, get off the square stuff. I don't want to lay 17. I don't want to lay $6 with a women's tennis match. Give me something a little more valuable, a little more, uh, little more payoff. I hear you. Let me tell you about Jameer Gibbs for the Heisman. You heard Colby's argument for Will Anderson. I have stated my case on the Will Anderson thing. I do not need to walk anything back there. I feel how I feel. But where Colby is not wrong is that they're not going to give it to Bryce Young again. That Alabama team is going to be in the mix. You know they're going to be in the playoff hunt. You know they're probably going to play in the national championship game this year. Whether they beat Ohio State or lose to Ohio State, I guess we get to find that out in four or five months. But it feels like they're going to be relevant in December and January. Somebody on that team is going to get Heisman buzz. Colby's betting it's Will Anderson. I'm betting it's Jameer Gibbs. I I went on uh, Vegas Sports and Information Network actually over the weekend and talked about this a little bit. Go back and look at what happened with the running backs with Alabama in 2021. Part of the reason Bryce Young won the Heisman is because of just how crazy their receivers were relative to their running backs. They had injury after injury after injury in that running back room. We all know the talent that Alabama has produced at receiver the last couple years. They are just feeding NFL receivers into the pro game. I feel like we might see the opposite this year, that the receivers are maybe a touch or two behind the running backs. It is a very deep and very talented room of tailbacks in that room in Alabama. I think we're going to see an offense this year that is more prone to hand the ball off and to take advantage of the talent they have in that room to use their offensive line. And maybe Bryce Young takes a back seat to what the personnel dictates is the best move for that offense. So I actually think Jameer Gibbs coming over from Georgia Tech, 1,800 all-purpose yards last year for Georgia Tech, which is an astronomical number, especially for a team that's only won six games combined the last two years. I think Jameer Gibbs could put up monster numbers this year. The only obstacle is that there's so much other talent in the running back room that he has to share the workload too much and he loses 200 yards to this guy and 300 yards to this guy and 150 to this guy. But at 30-1, to one, I'm willing to take a shot here. I think C.J. Stroud is ultimately the guy that's probably going to win the, the award this year. But I'm unwilling to lay such a big price with Stroud. And the history of the Heisman says you need to back somebody that's not at the top of the market. It is often a guy that pops up that wasn't a big focus in the market 
preseason. So I have staked my claim to Jameer Gibbs at 30-1. to 1. That's the price right now at BetMGM. I would recommend here very, maybe the longest air horn his, uh, segment in the history of the show. But that is my final play that I'm recommending. Lay the lay the 17 with Alabama. Uh, go by Jameer Gibbs 30-1. to 1. The tennis matches I talked about. Lots of action for you on a Monday. College football's back. Week zero. Games this week. Can't wait. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for checking it out. I am hoping, I am hoping that there is another episode on Thursday with a very big guest. Don't want to spoil it. Had some back and forth with him and his team. I think we're going to get him. I'm not quite sure yet. Don't hold me to it. Check back with the pod feed on Thursday. Either way, Thursday evening, 5.30 Eastern, very fun thing that I'm doing. Uh, Something I used to write every year. It is going to be a Twitter space this year, several hours long. will be a lot of fun. I hope you come check it out. The JMU Mega Football Preview. Hours and hours of discussion on the Sun Belt, on JMU, on the move to FBS, what we can expect. Putting the move in context, JMU, if you have not been following along, is like a lot of teams that jump up from FCS to FBS. They go through this multi-year transition process where they sort of inch their scholarships up and, hey, we're not going to be eligible for bowls or competing for the conference championship for a few years. And it's just this prolonged transitional period. JMU said, nope, full thing, year one, let's go. So they're, not, they're still not eligible for the, the conference championship, but they are a fully blooded member of the Sun Belt. They are playing a full FBS schedule right away. Uh, so just putting all of this stuff into context, some really big names are going to be there. Uh, we're going to have some really cool conversations about, about college football, about G5, and obviously quite a bit about JMU. So come stop by. I think you might be surprised by some of the names that, that, that drop in. Uh Maybe some notable alums that I have reached out to. Uh, you're thinking JMU alumni. Who, who, who's a JMU alumni that, that I would know? You know you know a couple. I promise. You've heard of a couple. So should be a good time. I hope you'll come check it out. Thanks for checking out the Lion's Edge podcast. And we will see you back here next time.